Hello, and welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, one of our researchers and friend, James Goad. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. James, we have quite an unusual and interesting episode today. Um, yeah. I've got my coffee ready for it, and um, <laughs> <laughs> we are examining some unusual doctrines that are a result of the weirdness in which women were viewed in the Lateran movement and its splinter groups and all of their grandchildren. Um, as you know, women in the message cult were very oppressed. And what's unusual is we were actually trained, in at least in the sect that I was in, to view women in such a way that we thought that they were our equals and yet our subordinates, because there was this clear hierarchy between God and husband and wife that... You know, it, it exists somewhat in Christianity in general, but we took it just a bit further because we actually oppressed the women in the main sect, and yet we're trained to believe that we weren't oppressing the women. So when women escape the cult and they enter the support groups, and we now actually have support groups just for women, and any one of them will tell you that, oh my gosh, this was the worst thing ever. I was treated horrifically, and yet they're, they also are manipulated to think that they're being treated fairly and, and, and in an equal way. And through your research, you have found some unusual doctrines that I just, the first time you brought it to me, I was like, I can't believe this. <laughs> this is the most <laughs> unusual thing that I have ever heard in my life. And I'll preface this. I'll let you introduce what we're going to talk about. But I'll preface this with I am in IT. I have been in large corporations, medium size, all the way down to the mom and pop shops. And to conduct business, one has to engage with other people. Sometimes those people are of a different gen gender than you are. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, there's never even a thought. When you hear this, it, it just will blow your mind. There's never even this thought of anything other than business when you're engaging because that's how business works, right? <laughs> you get yeah. together with people, people collaborate, people work together, and... Honestly, that's how that's the thread that is woven through entire America and you know largely part of the world. So, with that, I'll let you talk. I'll let you discuss what we're going to get into in this episode. Yeah, and when stuff like this is said over the pulpit, uh, it you makes you wonder how you can even conduct um, these sorts of interactions without this stuff being in the back of your mind when you're in these groups, and you just wonder just. It creates such a uh, interesting sort of um, problem in, in the mind just because you're adding all this extra stuff on top of uh, just what should be a normal interaction. Um, 
but yeah, let's let's take a look at this clip and see what these groups are adding on top of what should be an otherwise normal interaction between men and women. But your prophet said for a man to ask a woman to, for a coffee. Now you want to talk about extremes. He says you're potentially committing fornication. That's pretty strong, but that's your prophet. People say, well, brother, some of you brothers are strong preachers. Then you haven't listened to Malachi 4. Because some of that, those messages that that prophet preached will skin the hide off of you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, James, if I'm understanding this correctly, if I were to share a cup of coffee with a female, <laughs> I'm committing fornication. <laughs> it's, you know, it's really odd when you take a step back and think of this because, you know, in the ancient world, women were severely oppressed. And you see this to some extent in third world countries today. There are women that are shamed and, I mean, just some horrific things are, are taking place in today's world with regards to women, but they're usually in third world countries. They're, they're not usually in America. And one of the things that Christianity in general is recognized for in the ancient world, there was this advancement in gender equality. I'm not saying that they were equal in the ancient world, but compared to the rest of the ancient world, the children of Israel actually treated the women very, very good, right? In ancient Greece, for example, the um, women were never considered to be citizens. It, it was that bad. They were almost you know, kept hidden from the men because they did not want the women to, how do I say this in, in a non-offensive way, they did not want the women to create any drama between men, I guess basically is the way to put it. And so they felt like the women were the cause of problems, and so they would kind of you know keep them locked up in their house. But the children of Israel, as they progress into, into what became Christianity over time, they actually treated the women very well. And... This, you know, you can read histories. This is well documented. There were some civilizations in the ancient world that the women had great respect. One of them was Egypt, which, you know, the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And in Egypt, you even had female pharaohs. So politically, this there was a lot of progression towards gender equality in the ancient world surrounding what happened with the children of Israel. And then this continued in Christianity. Women became, you know, they're a partner, a partner to the man. The, the female was equal to the male, but still respected the authority of the husband. And there was a hierarchy in Christianity, God to, you know, the husband to the wife. But the husband and wife were a union. They were one. Um you know, Christianity teaches it back to the Garden of Eden, male and female, God created he, them. That's, <laughs> it's biblical, right? And right. the Apostle Paul says there is no male nor female, Jew nor Greek. This, this was a movement towards the progression of equal rights between men and women. And then this weird thing happened <laughs> in, in the 
later version of Christianity that emerged out of America, wherein the women were seen, once again, kind of like ancient Greek, Greece, they were seen as though they were this threat. And this doctrine, as you know, came directly from William Branham, who was the leader of the Lateran Revivalists. William Branham trained his people to believe that women were designed by Satan <laughs> instead of by God, like the, like the book of Genesis <clears throat> said, designed right. by Satan for the sole purpose of deceiving men into sex. I know. It's, it is so insane when, um, you know, you might grow up in some of these groups hearing this stuff, and, and when you're in the group, it seems, you know, everyone around you, everyone's just, men and women are listening to this stuff and you're hearing it and it sounds normal because everybody else is treating it as though it's normal. But then you get some distance and you look back and you go, Oh my God, this is not normal. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and like, like you said, designed by Satan and even, even like uh, comparing women and saying like, she was the tree of death and the man was the tree of life. And it's, it's like, um, it, it, you know, it just, it, and then all these weird doctrines sprout up around this stuff. And, and when you examine it from a high level view, you're like, no wonder you get all these weird doctrines that come, come about. And, and, you know, and some horrible things do come about above it, you know, um, you know, from abuse to, um, to everything in between, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you just kind of wonder, it's like, it's like, can we just, can we just leave everybody alone? <laughs> you know, why, 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 why do we have to put women in this special box to be, um, to be scorned and like, and, and it's almost like, it's almost like these religions treat them as though they're a nuclear bomb that's about to go off. And so we, we have to cordon them off and treat them in such a different way. Or, you know, the entire you know world could be brought down by a woman getting out of her place. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. It is. And, you know, People who have never experienced this type of cult just have no idea because you go to a normal church. We've been to several different types of churches now, now that we've left the cult, and we um, were just completely shocked at how the women were treated because it's actually pretty good in, in a normal church. And, you know, in the back of our heads, we were raised on this weird teaching. And I'll just read you a couple of quotes from William Branham. Branham said in 1965 in a sermon that's frequently played specifically to the women who were of, of age to find a boyfriend and get married. And so they play this tape called Marriage and Divorce. And Branham says, she is not in God's original creation. She is a byproduct. And he says in that same sermon, you may question me about Satan being her designer, but that's the truth. Satan designed her. Now, he's talking about females, right? And right. he says, she is designed to be a sex act, and no other animal is designed like that. Now, I don't know about where you came from in the, you know, in the sect that you were in, but in the main sect of the message, they... You, you would hear these quotes and and the ministers would kind of dance around it and say, well, that he's talking specifically about the non-cult women, <laughs> the women who you right. might get, the women who you might have coffee with. <laughs> right. So yeah. if you're out, if you're out conducting business and you have a, say you have a sales meeting and you call the company up. Sure, we're going to send our vice president of sales to come meet you. And 
and they'll meet you for coffee. And then suddenly you get this call. Hi, I'm a female and I'm going to have coffee with you. (laughs) In the back of your mind, you are trained to believe that because she's a non-cult woman, (laughs) she is trying to lure you into sex. (laughs) It's just so weird, man. And if you actually examine what is being said by William Branham in the sermon, he's not talking about just the cult women because (laughs) he specifically says that a woman is the only animal in creation (laughs) that is designed to be like this. Every woman, every single woman is designed like this. Yeah. It's, it's mind boggling. And and like you said, you know, the, some of these groups will present it as though, yeah, we're, we're, we're not talking about you sisters. We're talking about those that are, that are, that haven't heard the word of this day. And, you know, they're, they're living, you know, be, you know, below what God has, has called them to be. Um, but the thing of it is, is that if you're not living up to what they're preaching, then they're, they're kind of not saying it cause this is the quiet part, but then you're then looped back into that group until you get back into good favor in the group. So they are talking about you. It's just they're trying to make it sound they're, – they're trying to package it in this way that doesn't sound so sinister because it is very sinister at its core. Yeah. And, you know, what's really funny is, you know, the minister who said this, and I'm not going to give his name, but – this is a person who is also indoctrinated in this cult. So we cannot say that it's this person's fault. He's just parroting what William Branham said. What he doesn't realize, James, is that the the origin of this seed of thought that is growing in, blossoming into the non-coffee doctrine, <laughs> the origin <laughs> is actually in polygamy. And let me say that again. The origin is in polygamy. This William Branham introduced this notion that women were, you know, from the Garden of Eden, there was this weird thing that it was basically Christian identity doctrine. But William Branham said that the serpent was able to have sex with Eve because she was designed by Satan for sex. <laughs> and so the serpent made it and produced Cain, etc. And then after this, one of Branham's unusual theologies, which is actually very popular in some parts of Africa, William Branham said that when this happened, there was another covenant that was introduced that nobody else in Christianity knows about. <laughs> he said, this was the covenant of polygamy. Let me read you another quote. He said, Then when the double covenant was made by man and woman through sex, another covenant altogether, not the original covenant, but another covenant, covenant, what was introduced? Polygamy in all. (laughs) Then after the beginning, polygamy was introduced in both man and beast. After the beginning, the fall, God now secondarily sets a new covenant nature again by sex god created the first without sex and he gets into talking about the second covenant he says one male many females one buck deer a whole harem of does (laughs) one whole herd of cattle cows a one rooster a yard full of hens so he is specifically saying that women are not only designed by sex but because of the fall 
it is the sex, the polygamy, <laughs> that creates this pl- this weird thing where the women can now be despised. And he actually brings this this weird doctrine into this covenant into the notion that women, because of this, can only be saved by sex. Here's another quote. This is from Why We Are Not a Denomination. He said, So he circumcised Abraham, and that was a seal of the covenant. Now the woman could not be in that covenant, only a married woman. So what he's saying is a single woman cannot be saved. He said only a married woman can be in that covenant. And we find out we couldn't circumcise a female, so they had to come in, so her and her husband are one. And then he goes on to say, he he quotes the scripture from Timothy, tying (laughs) the the New Testament to the Old Testament and his covenant of polygamy. He said, Nowwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. So what he's saying is essentially, the woman is designed by Satan for sex, and because of this, we have a covenant of polygamy, and because of this covenant of polygamy, this whole harem of women (laughs) can be saved by one single man. That one man can have sex with each one of these people and save them. It's so crazy because it's just a prime example of how when these these teachers who get way off into who knows where and these crazy doctrines start coming in and all this weird stuff like polygamy starts being introduced and in you know it's in a lot of people in my sect try to run away from this stuff like or the i should excuse me i should say the sect that i was in i don't know <laughs> not anymore <laughs> past tense <laughs> um but yeah no they, they run away from this stuff and they try to bury it and act like it never existed but the fact of it is is you read these quotes and it's like no it's there in black and white you know you just you know so yeah it, it yeah it's, it's it's so insane to uh um to to think that you know we're talking about something like polygamy being normalized in a in a religious movement in this day and age it just it just seems so far-fetched that you're it's hard to wrap your mind around yeah whenever you think about american christianity and polygamy everybody goes immediately to the flds the mormons and you think at least I did. I don't know how it was for you, but growing up, you thought of the Branhamite cult as being separate from the Mormon cult. In other words, we would never do that. <laughs> In fact, you know, I knew that this polygamy quote existed, and I knew that there were themes of polygamy woven through the message. I did not know the extent until after I had escaped and I started publishing some of my research, I was actually contacted by a group of message believers in Africa and they came across my just brief summary of the polygamy research and they were like, yeah, man, they try to take our polygamy away from us over here in Africa. And they sent me this video of them coming trying to defend polygamy and and were actually confronting ministers in Jeffersonville because they were actually removing quotes about polygamy from some of the recordings and sermons over in Africa. And I I was shocked. Like, (laughs) really? (laughs) I had no idea that this was going on. 
And again, you think of the Mormons, but what I did not realize at the time is that there was even this weird thread of Mormonism woven through the message. Yeah, so, um, you know, there, there's this there's this quote um, that I found from uh, from Branham in uh, spoke in 1951, his sermon called Testimony, um, and uh, you know, and you, you start you start seeing him linking to more Mormonism even in this quote, um, and he said, uh, and I. I didn't know what he was talking of, and he put the book under my arm, and it was called The Mormon Word of God. I don't know what it was. It's a, it's one of the prophets of the Latter-day Saints, some bunch of them, and they claim, uh, and, and that they claims what they was neophytes. And, and back a hundred and long, long, how long ago it was, it, it, on a certain page there, I have the book in my library. It prophesied their prophet and said, that in the last days Germany there would have an ism called Nazism and went ahead and said that in that day let double I double L I M William Branham be called and set aside in humanity <laughs> for the service that I have called him to. That's right. Wrote years ago. <laughs> so yeah. so James, let me get this straight. So when I'm having a cup of coffee and I'm on a sales call and I'm having a cup of coffee in a coffee shop with a bunch of other people. And there's a woman present who isn't a cult woman. And I'm fornicating with my cup of coffee. <laughs> when, the, when the minister is, is trying to explain the fornication of coffee... I don't ever remember a single minister in the message telling us that William Branham was the Elijah for our day because in 1933 he had these prophecies about the rise of Nazism. And oh, by the way, <laughs> he's a Mormon prophet. I don't remember them <laughs> mentioning that, <laughs> that William uh, Branham, yeah. who taught polygamy, was a Mormon prophet. I know it's it's one of the one of the crazier things that you learn about when you start digging into some of the stuff and actually examining everything that was said, not just the the tightly filtered things that get preached to you, um, you know, on a weekly basis in some of these groups. But yeah, no, I mean, Branham trying to trying to build his authority as as a prophet through Mormonism is something that you're kind of not prepared for when you start looking into this stuff because you're yeah. like no he had he had um vindication you know in spades he didn't need that why why is he doing that but then you start looking into it and it's like well he did it it's there in black and white he said it in his own <laughs> words you know and it's just like and then you see all the stuff of polygamy and you're like what is going on <laughs> <laughs> it's you know and even that like <clears throat> we've examined in the podcast so many things that the man said that just simply was not true. And even in this, he's being a bit deceptive because when you think of the phrase, the Mormon word of God, and we as the mind-controlled, <laughs> brainwashed little message drones hear the Mormon word of God, we're thinking that he's actually talking about the Book of Mormon, right? So while we're fornicating with our coffee in a religion that is preaching a covenant of polygamy, 
that women, <laughs> like like the woman who's having coffee in a coffee shop with a bunch of other people, is fornicating <laughs> with the cult member. <laughs> and we're thinking the Book of Mormon. What he's actually talking about isn't the Book of Mormon, which brings this to a whole new level of weird, right? William Branham is actually referring to a splinter group of the Mormons that was called the Church of Christ with the Elijah message. Now remember, William Branham largely convinced his cult of personality that he was the return of Elijah the prophet. And what better way to introduce Elijah the prophet than these Mormons who, <laughs> who are the Church of Christ with the Elijah message. It's a splinter group from the Latter-day Saints. So yeah, there's this guy, William Draves, that set up the Church of Christ with the Elijah message, like uh, like you said. So he <laughs> so he has this, uh, uh, this, there's this interesting quote here where he says, um, you know, talking about all these... Uh, all these different servants and stuff like that. And he says, and my servant, William Branham be set apart as elders, um, you know, along with the other men that were mentioned. Um, so wh what was his associated with William Branham? <laughs> you know, it's really weird. We've dug into this trying to figure out because William Branham specifically said that it's talking about him. He doesn't say that it's another William Branham. He specifically claims to be <laughs> the servant of this Mormon church. And again, this whole thing is really weird. He's a man who's preaching polygamy and claiming to be in the Book of Mormon, and he says that it's referring to him. Well, if you go back and you look, this is not even a book. This is just simply a prophecy by this man, William Draves, who is— essentially creating his own weird cult of personality. And he mentions the elders that he's setting aside in his church. And James, in a normal church, what happens when somebody wants to be an elder? They just simply approach the minister and they say, hey, I'd like to help out. An elder is just somebody who's helping out in the church. And so they, the church usually gets together and they vote on it and they say, hey, okay, this guy wants to help us. We're going to let him help us. That's how simple a normal church is. In this weird cult of personality, like it, the message is no different, but in William Drave's, you know, weird cult of personality, you couldn't just be an elder. You had to be prophesied as an elder, very similar to how the latter rain worked. You had to be prophesied to get appointed to a quote-unquote office. So what is happening here is this William Draves is prophesying, or claiming to prophesy, I should say, over these elders, and he lists the names of them, and the last one he mentions, my servant William Branham to be an elder. And Br William Branham, our, <laughs> the, the central figure of the message cult, claimed that this was him. We Honestly, we cannot find any evidence yet to reject William Branham's claim, our William Branham's claim. So is it him? I don't know, but that's what William Branham said, that he was part of this Latter-day Saint polygamous cult movement that sprung from the, you know, Joseph Smith and the Mormons. Right, and the, the thing that kind of comes to mind when you see all these different ways that Branham uh, built his his vindication, you, want, you should say, is 
that it almost sounds like um, different origin stories for a superhero where it's like you've got all these different uh, uh, superhero origin stories and all these different like variations of comic books and stuff like that. And you've got all these stories that don't fit together, but then people <laughs> try to bring them together and, and try to build a continuity. And, and then you've got this weird continuity throughout the message of all these different um, ways that he tried to bring himself as the Elijah prophet through, and, and through all these different uh ways of like people like yeah mentioning his name here and stuff like that. it's it's so strange yeah. um to to see that <laughs> and and like everything else like i said he's he's being a bit deceptive because he's using the phrase the mormon word of god which <laughs> makes you think book of mormon but it gets even weirder james because it's not just simply that he's linking himself to it he's deceptive about who they are he doesn't mention that this is William Drave's splinter group or his cult. He says that they, quote, they were evangelists belonging to the Assemblies of God. But here's where it gets even more problematic. If you picture this thing, this prophecy, this is William Drave's, the leader of a cult, and he has this prophecy, and he writes it down on a piece of paper <laughs> alone where nobody can see whether he actually had this prophecy or not, and comes out, hey, I have prophesied, and sure enough, you people who are wanting to be elders, including William Branham, God said, you're elders. <laughs> and that's, <clears throat> that's how it worked in this cult. Well, William Branham said that he saw the actual paper. He said, they had an old paper turned yellow. And then he goes on to say that they were part of the Assemblies of God, which is totally a lie. <laughs> it's, it was not the Assemblies of God. So he is actually present with the actual piece of paper, which makes me wonder very seriously, was he actually a part of this weird cult that was growing? And, you know, he said that, he, he said that it was him, right? But he also disconnects it, and he said they were talking about you, and your name is mentioned. So he's trying to pull himself as a separate entity, but yet he's dishonest about who they are. He's dishonest about the book that it's in, and he's claiming to be this William Branham, so he's trying to re-inject himself into this thing where he saw this weird piece of paper. So the whole thing raises more questions than it gives answers. I know, John, because but I thought he was Elijah the prophet of Malachi four. What? <laughs> why does he? Why does he need the Mormons or even a splinter group of the Mormons? I mean, this yeah. is just strange. And more to the point, why would this Elijah the prophet bring in notions about the oppression of women, <laughs> literally that they were created by Satan, designed by Satan? Why would a prophet of God say something that is completely polar opposite to what the Bible said? None of it makes any sense. Yeah, it, it's it's strange and it's sad to see such um, bad theology coming into to these groups and even being perpetrated today. Because it, it does it it hurts people, it hurts families, it hurts relationships, and um, you know it sets so many people up for failure when it's like you know life's hard enough and relationships can be hard enough without all this extra stuff on top of it. I mean, really can it, it, it's just, it's just a shame that this is some of the stuff that people have to deal with because it's just, it, it's, it's unnecessary. It really is. Yeah. All of this reminds me of a, um, quite 
shocking um, quote from another um, minister not too long ago. Um, and comparing uh, women to screwdrivers, um, <laughs> it's it's really it's really tough to get through because you're just listening to this and you're like, wait a minute, I, I thought we were in church. What's what 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 is this? This this you know. So I don't know. Let, let's. I guess we can play the clip, and uh, we can kind of just go from there. Because this is. Uh, I guess we should just let him speak for himself here. Do you understand what you're doing? When you are presenting yourself sexy and indecent, and a man will look at you, that part of his brain is activated, like using a screwdriver or a hammer or a pair of pliers. Not to love you till death us do part. Will you honor? Will you cherish? You are no more than a hammer. You are no more than a screwdriver or a pair of pliers. And marriage that is built on that, how can we expect it to last? It can't last. What do you do, brothers, when a screwdriver tears up? You throw it away and get another. If your drill tears up and it can't be fixed, what do you do? You trash it and get another. Don't you see when people marry on that basis where they're headed? Who's behind it all? The devil is behind it all. So let me get this straight, James. So if I go have coffee with a sales executive or vice president or even CEO. I've actually met women in a coffee shop who were the CEOs of an organization that I did years of worth of business for, right? So if I'm meeting this woman and I'm (laughs) fornicating with my cup of coffee, (laughs) I'm supposed to also view this woman who's having this fornicating coffee with me as though she's a screwdriver. Yeah, it creates such a whirlwind of just insanity that, yeah, like you said, in one sense, you're like, you're worried about, oh, am I, am I potentially fornicating with this woman over a cup of coffee? And then you're like, oh, wait, but she's a screwdriver or a tool. And it's like, what's going on here? And you've got all this stuff going on, which should be a normal interaction between two people in a business meeting or whatever, or even just some random person you're asking for a cup of coffee. It's, it, it is insane. The levels that this stuff can get to. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just so weird, James. And, you know, I, I'm fascinated with history. And if you take the Americanized Christianity, what, what we're talking about here, even though this takes it to a new level of extreme that you're not going to find anywhere else, in general, in the more conservative Americanized Christianity, there is this notion that showing any flesh like i i don't know how it was for you but even if a woman showed about that much of her ankle <laughs> she got she got called out from the platform as having a scandal skirt because all of these young men i apparently wasn't one of them because i wasn't turned on by the ankle but apparently <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of young men who like to see a little bit of ankle out west they had the same similar weird doctrine for women having open-toed shoes. And I remember this was a weird thing because out West, if the woman showed her toes, apparently that excited the men, the men out West, they really liked to see the toes from what I'm understanding. But then when those women would visit out East to the cult churches and they 
saw these women with their open toes because out <laughs> in the churches in the East, we really didn't know that you were not supposed to show the toes. And I can't really think of a single man or adolescent boy who <laughs> enjoyed the toe, but that's another story for another day <laughs> in, in the cults. You had this hyper hypersensitivity towards skin, but in American Christianity in general, because it was based, you know, America, its early roots was based on, you know, like the Quakers and very, very, very conservative Christianity. Mm-hmm. It didn't really develop the same way in other countries, and this is where it gets really weird. As I've spoken to you know, friends, new friends around the globe that didn't really grow up in America, didn't really see how weird this got. You've got a different breed of Christian because there isn't this focus on the skin. Whenever all of the passages that these conservative Christians in America reference, they're talking about adorn yourself in modest apparel. And when you think modesty in America, you're thinking, okay, don't show <laughs> the toes because the toes might excite the men. But in all actuality, they were, you know, think of the early Christians. They were going into countries that did not know that you couldn't show your open toes or that much of your ankle. <laughs> they were, some of these some of these tribes that they would visit did not even have tops on. I mean, look at the old togas in Greece that, Sometimes the toga didn't even cover both breasts, just one, because there wasn't this weird focus on connecting skin, which we all have, to sex, because in the ancient world, they would have just laughed at you if, you, <laughs> if somebody said, okay, the, the women in your, in your community are designed by Satan to deceive you for sex. They, they didn't have this weird doctrine, right? <clears throat> and so in the ancient world... When the ancient Christians were witnessing to these people, they were largely poor people in some of the remote communities. And the Bible is literally saying, "Don't go on with go. Don't go into the communities with jewelry and gold and silver, where they're looking at that and viewing you as a king. Just go in with modest apparel. Modesty also means not gaudy or overbearing. But in Americanized Christianity, it's kind of twisted into don't show your skin, which is, if you take a step back and think about it, it's really, really weird. Yeah, and like you said, it goes from being like, hey, let's just, um, let's not go over here and just actively try to offend these people who don't kind of understand our culture or the way we sort of uh, dress and stuff like that, to like, almost, a con- it's more of a control mechanism in Christian fundamentalism. And, um, you know, and, and it, the more you examine the doctrines, the more levers of control that you see being enacted and abused against a lot of women in a lot of these groups. And like you said, something that can be innocuous, just like, Hey, um, you know, more like, let's just be chill. They don't understand how they don't understand us. They don't understand what we do. Let's just go in and, and, and try to fit in to like, um, you know, and like you said, just like even like the the dress length, it's like, it, and it varies between all these different groups and, and there's different, you know, stuff. And it's, you know, yeah, it, it it really sets up um, avenues of control and abuse more than anything. Yeah. And, you know, ironically, James, 
you played you've shared two clips with us of two different ministers and and again we're not going to give their names but what's interesting is the second one there is an actual study i've i actually took the time to go find it after i heard this this was years ago <laughs> what was interesting I, I found the exact article i wish i still had it but it was an article talking about there was a link between men who objectified women and exciting the object centers of their brain. In other words, if you looked at a woman who is scantily clad and you objectified that woman, then it would activate the part of your brain that is thinking of objects like power tools, etc. Interestingly, and I wish I still had it, I'll, I'll try to find it if I can, but <laughs> in that same article was a woman in a bikini. <laughs> so here's this minister who's talking about this thing and, you know, exciting all of the cult members not to think of their women as a screwdriver. But the substance was correct. He was talking about objectifying women. Where it gets really ironic is what the first clip is playing is actually the objectification of women. <laughs> so if you put these two <laughs> ministers together head-to-head -to -head in a room, they're going to duke it out, <laughs> right? Because one of them is talking about do not objective, objectify women, while the other one is saying if you have a cup of coffee, that is potential sex. You are objectifying the woman. And it's just, you know, take a step back from all of this. You're in a religion that, A, teaches that women are objects for sex. B, <laughs> there's a covenant of polygamy. And the only way that you can save these women is by having sex with them. And C, it's kind of this weird link to the Mormon church that I personally, I had no idea <laughs> when I was in the cult, <laughs> that there was this weird link to the Mormon church. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird sort of full circle that when you sort of examine it all together, <laughs> like you said, you get back to this whole thing about women and the way that even like Branham talks about women, it's, it's talks about them as objects. And so the, the very sermons that, that you're listening to talk about women in such a dehumanizing way and, 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 and making them out to be something that should be feared and, um, and like controlled because you know they could they, they could they could take away your salvation if, if you let a woman just lead you around um you know and all this stuff and and, and yeah so there, there's so much talking out of both sides of their mouth and all coming back to this same root um yeah it boggles your mind when you try to make sense <laughs> of all of it <laughs> well and for me it's this simple james the Bible said, the Apostle Paul said, there is no male nor female, Jew nor Greek. We're all one. So it's equality, right? And these same ministers who are saying these weird things are preaching against the sin of homosexuality. And in homosexuality, it's the same act between a man and a man. So, again, equality <laughs> one case is a man and a man, one case is a man and a female. By the same logic, if you are not objectifying your women, by the same logic, then a man who has coffee <laughs> with another man is fornicating with that man and is committing a homosexual <laughs> act. <laughs> 
so what you're saying is you can't win for losing in the message. It's just unbelievable. So I'm having a cup of coffee with you, James, and I think you need to go pray, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Such a mess. Well, I'm going to go pray that nothing happened between us while I had this cup of coffee, James. <laughs> if you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. 